Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank you oh so much for the opportunity you've given us to be able to gather in your house and to study your word. Help us now as we get back into the, the book of Romans to be able to understand it and apply it in the right way. Thank you oh so much as we pray in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. Continuing our Exploring the Word series in the book of Romans, we see an interesting set of verses here concerning Paul's compassion, his desire to help others, especially those of his kinmanship or the Jews, because he was of that bloodline. And we see how he talks here that he would prefer that he himself would even be cursed if with that he could reach others and help others come to know the Lord in Romans chapter 9. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. So here's where he's talking there. He really has his compassion for them, that he would be willing to sacrifice himself to the point of being cursed, if that's what it took to be able to reach others with the gospel. Verse 6, Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So just because they have this bloodline that they are descendants of Abraham don't mean they're automatically going to be someone of the Lord or of the Lord's family. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. This, of course, is talking about the two boys, the twins, Jacob and Esau. Esau was the firstborn but just by a moment, because Jacob, if you remember the account in the Old Testament, Jacob was actually holding on to the heel of Esau as Esau was born. Here comes Jacob out right after Esau while he was holding Esau's foot. But Esau was the one that was considered the firstborn who was given the, the inheritance, but he gave it up to Jacob for a meal, if you remember the account. And Jacob's heart was more toward the Lord than Esau was. And that's why you say, why you see here, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. It's talking about the whole bloodline. Because Esau reached out into 
the pagan world and got a bride rather than staying within the children of Israel like he was instructed to. As it continues, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. Speaking here, well, where we just read, he says that he hated Esau. Those that were ungodly, those that were rebellious. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. That's up to the Lord for that, not for us to say. So then, is it not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy? For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Because there again, you go back to the Old Testament, you look at the account of Pharaoh and so forth, how it says in there, Repeatedly that the Lord hardened his heart. That means made him even madder and more rebellious. Because he started out as an evil and rebellious person who was against God. And the Lord used that kind of an individual. Raised him up, meaning gave him that power to be the Pharaoh and all the power and influence that he had. But it was still all against the Lord. He used everything against the Lord. And then finally the Lord took him out and all of that you see the accounts in the Old Testament. And he chose to do that. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doeth he yet find fault? For who he hath resisted, his will. For who hath resisted his will? Who can resist the will of God? You can Deny it, you can turn against it, but you're not going to win. Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Like, how do you think you're going to stand up when you try to go up against God? Shall the thing formed say to, the, to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay, or the same lump to... Make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessel of wrath fitted to destruction? See, 22 kind of gives some clarity to it, where it says, What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with long suffering the vessel's of wrath fitted to destruction, just like he did with Pharaoh. He long-suffering, I mean, patiently allowed Pharaoh to stay in power right to the point where it was time for him to be held accountable. And through that, the Lord was able to influence a lot of folks. So it was by his patience that he allowed Pharaoh to exist. And by his patience, he allows people in this world today to continue and even to prosper. By his patience, he's allowing that. But there will be a day of accountability for them all. Verse 23, And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. See, he pours his mercy, his grace, 
his blessings upon the righteous. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he hath afore prepared unto glory. Even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. And here he's getting it rolled right on into this isn't just available to the Jews, this mercy, but to the Gentiles as well. To those that will humble themselves and come to the Lord. Verse 25, as he saith also in O.C., I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. The people that were not his people, we're speaking of the Gentiles. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of of the living God. Once you truly trust in the Lord, humble yourself, come to Him, He adopts you into the family, whether you're of the bloodline of Abraham or not. Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. Notice it's just a remnant, just a fraction of the amount of people that should have come to the Lord because they were the descendants of Abraham, because they were part of the promise, there's only going to be a remnant of them that actually going to turn to the Lord, meaning just a trace amount. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabbath had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and been made like unto Gomorrah. Saying, except the Lord had had so much mercy on the children of Israel through all the stuff that they had done, all the judgments that had to come upon them, if it hadn't been for the Lord's mercy, they would have been wiped out completely like Sodom and Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles which follow not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Sion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Here he's making the comparison between the Gentiles being those that are out there unrighteous completely and totally coming to the Lord and receiving righteousness given to them by the Lord versus the Jews that were in pretense of being righteous. We're following the law of works instead of, of faith. And when the Lord comes and establishes salvation through His finished work, they rejected it. It became a stumbling block to them. They couldn't overcome that, couldn't step over that because they were so bound in their traditions and in their beliefs of Salvation by works rather than salvation by faith. 
That's why he speaks of it as being a stumbling block. Chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Here he's pointed back to children of Israel. Been given so much, but yet have not really received it, have not really accepted it, because they were so attached to tradition and their misunderstanding of the will of the Lord. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, are going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. This is a condition that a lot of folks have. They, within their own imagination and in their own mind, have established what is right and what is wrong, what is righteous and what is unrighteous, what is true and what is false. They have designed and built their own religion within their mind and then seek to fulfill the requirements of that religion and think that they have done a great thing because of what they choose to believe. And that's what he's talking about here. The children of Israel had chosen to resist the truth and chose to accept what they wanted to do. And that was to gain salvation through works rather than through faith and trust in the Lord. And that's the basis of most of the foreign religions that have a moral code. It's like they have this moral code and that if you follow that moral code, then you will reach what they consider their salvation or their heaven or their version of heaven, paradise in their religion, if you work your way to that. Like the Hindus, for instance. Some of the branches of the Hindu religions believe that you can work your way to the next level because they believe in reincarnation, you start out as an animal and you reincarnate and you hire up in the animal kingdom till you become a man and then you work well enough as a man or mankind, then you can go to the next level, which is you become a god and become in the ranks of their gods. And along that pathway, you have people that trust in or worship to the point of worshiping cattle. The Brahma is their highest worship of the cattle. And that comes from their religion of works. And various religions have these different things, lots of twists, lots of angles, lots of different varieties, of course, in, in world religions. But primarily, most of them are based on works. To work your way to a point of what they consider salvation. Read three again. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. This applies to every religion out there other than Christianity. They are ignorant, which means they have the lack of knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness 
have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. That's the first thing you have to do is humble yourself and submit. When you submit to the Lord, then He's able to craft you into what He wants you to be. Verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven? But this is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. This confession is also a profession. To profess, confess, declare Jesus Christ as Lord, which means ultimate authority. And you accept and believe in his finished work, which included being raised from the dead, then you can be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. This confession is that you live by the guidelines that the Lord has laid out for us. The guidance that we receive by the Holy Ghost. That we confess that, that we proclaim that, that we show that. We become a witness. We become an ambassador of God. That is the evidence of the fact that we are one of His. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek... It's a very important point there he's trying to teach them. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Which clearly means, doesn't have to be a descendant of Abraham. It is whosoever. Available to anybody and everybody. Even those that have been risen up in a false religion and have practiced that for many years, even those ruthless, bloodthirsty people that have sought out and killed Christians, they have an opportunity of salvation is what he's saying here. Whosoever, just like Paul, the one who's writing this, who had dedicated his life to hunting down Christians and taking them back to Jerusalem so they could be tortured and even some of them killed. He was saved on the road to Damascus, one of the greatest missionaries of all time. But he was a bloodthirsty, cruel individual at one time. So, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Here he's pointing out the amazing opportunity, the awesome opportunity that the Lord has given some to spread the gospel. 
and saying there about how are they going to hear it and how are they going to know it unless somebody comes around and teaches and preaches to them. Because he just spoke about how we need to be confessing to others, sharing it, spreading it around, giving it to others. He's asking that question, is how they're going to know it unless you go out and tell them. Well, he don't include in this He's not eliminating, but He's not including it. He's encouraging folks to go out and preach and teach and so forth. But the Lord taught us directly that the work is being done regardless of mankind. Whether mankind's part of the work of the Lord or not, the Holy Ghost is doing a work. And during the tribulation time, even the angels themselves are going to be spreading the gospel, not dependent upon man whatsoever to spread the gospel during tribulation time. But there will be 144,000 chosen to give the opportunity to spread it during that. Just like today, there are many, many countless people that have been chosen, given the opportunity to be able to preach and teach and spread the gospel as well. So he's here encouraging and also in a little bit of compliment or praise of how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. He's you can find this also back in Isaiah chapter 52. As it continues, verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? Isaiah, or Isaiah, as found in the Old Testament, was speaking of how he had done so much work, had spread so much of the gospel at that time, and wasn't seeing much results. He was a bit discouraged when he wrote that. Just as many of us preachers today, we make such an effort to, to spread the gospel and we don't always get to see the immediate effect of it or the lingering effect or the later effect of it. Someday we will, but sometimes now we, we don't. And it sometimes gets a bit discouraging to a preacher that is preaching the gospel and he doesn't see much of a feedback from it in a positive way and some of them can even be discouraged by that, as Isaiah was when he wrote that. Verse 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. It has already gone out to everywhere and everyone, and continues to go out to everywhere to everyone by the power of the Holy Ghost, and allows some people to be a part of that work. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. Speaking of reaching on out into the Gentiles that came in and sought salvation. But to Israel, he saith, all day long I have stretched forth mine hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Pointing out there some of the past there that children of Israel had gotten into. The rebelliousness, the, the unfaithfulness that they had shown. But through chapters 9 and 10, we see how Paul had such a desire to reach everyone, but even a higher desire to reach those that he was related to. 
that had been given so much but yet rejected it. And he saw how he fell right into what he was talking about, the religion of works, not of faith in God. And then that miraculous event on the road to Damascus where he become converted and then being able to help others that have been willfully ignorant because they did not want to change. The Jews that he encountered that were contrary were that, that way. They wanted to hang on to the old ways. They wanted to hang on to their positions because they knew if they would accept Jesus Christ and the finished work of Jesus Christ, that their positions of power and authority would be diminished. That was another reason why they resisted the Lord. It was of selfishness. Let's go ahead and close here. We'll pick it back up in chapter 11 next time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank you oh so much for the many, many things we can learn when we dig deep into your scriptures and, and study it and help all of us have that encouragement to do that. And then all of us have that boldness to step on up and proclaim you as our Lord and Savior, as you've told us to, to go out and confess to others that we trust in you. Thank you oh so much for allowing us to be a part of your work. So we pray in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. Thank you.